0: to the first special Watford Buzz, Watford Legends episode, where we invite on a former or current Watford legend to talk about their career with a particular emphasis on their time with Watford FC. And I'm delighted to be welcoming back someone who's a friend of the podcast. He was part of the build up to the Derby episode. It's former Watford goalkeeper, Eric Steele. Eric, welcome back to the Watford Buzz podcast. Eric, you you joined Watford from Brighton Hove Albion in 1979 and you spent five years at the club, but uh, how did that move to Watford first come about?
1: Um, well, I was I was at Brighton when they got promoted into the Premier League as it is now and um, signed a new contract, played over 90 odd games, really enjoyed my time, terrific club, Alan Mulry, uh, first job in football, legend as a player for Tottenham and Fulham in England and really I did, I had a really enjoyable time for three and a half years and then I had, as you would do in my position, you've you've got competition and Graham Mosley he been very patient sitting in behind me um, and there was just, I think we got to October because there was no transfer windows then and Alan Mulvey had decided that he wanted to give um, Graham Mosley a chance in the team. Uh, so I had a choice to make. Do I stay and fight for my place, um, which I could have done, uh, or do you look to see if there's any other offers? And then within about two, three weeks, The approach was made by obviously Graham Taylor, who was looking to rebuild the team because they'd had a fantastic surge from fourth to second, as it was then. Um, And he was looking then to consolidate and obviously hopefully get promotion into the next league. Um, And then, yeah, there was a phone call made, and I I made the the journey up uh, to Watford and met Graham in a hotel. And obviously, then I knew of the club. um, And then sat down with Graham and Eddie Plumley as it was then. And I was one of I think that day spoke with Wolf Rostran and Mickey Henderson. So I, I was I was part of really a three man um, attraction from Graham, obviously and Eddie Plumley where they were looking to rebuild and add to the squad that had just come up from the, the, the second division. Uh, and that really was how it happened.
0: Did you realise at the time that, that Graham Taylor was 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 a was a good manager? That he had something special about him, or or, or was it just was it just like any other manager that you'd experienced? No, it was something that um, in my capacity of,
1: of being a goalkeeper, but also being a football man, I would class myself as that, is that people knew you could not fail to see what he'd done in terms of because what he did, he was he was building it. He was building a team, but he was also building a football club, mm. which. I I saw that from the outside, uh, you know the the rapid rise he had. He was a coach, he was a manager, but he was a coach. He was on field. He was he was always alongside his players, um, and that really was was something I knew then. It, it didn't take me long after sitting down with him um, when he started talking about his plans that obviously the chairman that we all know of, you know, was backing him. That he was. He was. In, and when, when I went to the stadium, you know, he still you still had the dog track uh, okay. around. Uh, and, you, and he said, look, we're looking to build a team to go us, to take us to the next level, but also we're going to be rebuilding the whole club. And that was very much how he sold it. Um, so, no, I was I'm really impressed. didn't take me long um, that once he'd spoke to me and convinced me that um, it would be a good move for myself.
0: Did you enjoy your time at Watford?
1: I didn't enjoy it as much as I should.
0: OK. Is that because he was... At, uh out of the team towards the end of it or
1: well no it was the fact that I don't think I gave as good account of myself as I should have done um, I didn't have the best starts because um, probably the fans would, wouldn't remember then but I actually contracted really really serious food poisoning salmonella oh, right. so when I was due to make my debut I was nearly three four weeks and I should never have ever I should have took advice I was desperate because Graham had paid the money for me I wanted to start and I really should have Should have probably rehabilitated a bit longer, got a bit fitter. Took me longer than I really thought to get back uh, to the level of fitness that I wanted. Um, So, yeah, I disappointed myself in a way. I mean, I enjoyed my time thoroughly. Um, You know, we had some great times. We were involved in Europe. But sadly, I only played 50-odd games. Steve Sherwood, delighted for him. He stepped in and proved to be a really, really good goalkeeper for the football club. Um, But I had really, really good times at the club. But I really felt that I didn't do justice in terms of when I played there. Um, You know, when I think of the success I had at Derby, at Brighton, Peterborough, probably Watford would be the one club where I didn't really perform. So the Watford fans probably didn't see me perform and play as I had done at my other clubs. So that would be a disappointment. But that didn't take anything away from um, being involved in a fantastic club that was really built... Uh, Obviously alongside terrific management with uh, a board of directors and a chairman in Elton John and then obviously a chief executive in Eddie Plumley. Um, And that club really was a great model on how to build a club, build a team uh, on a very, very good budget. Um, We were were coached. We weren't trained. We were coached. That was the impressive thing for me. Um, So, yeah, a lot of good times, um, a lot of great trips abroad and tours uh, and a lot of good moments with some good players and good characters.
0: I think if I mean I wasn't there myself but um talking to to, to my dad about about the games, he said that there was one that that really sort of uh, stuck in his mind which was a, a Southampton fixture where uh, you lost the first leg four nil I think and then yeah and then I played brought, in that you brought them back and uh, and, and won was it seven one in the end?
1: Yeah, seven one It was the only game I've been associated with Matthew your dad will remember this where at the rookery end, where they opened the gates. We were 3-0 with about five, six minutes to go. So we were one goal short and people started leaving. Naturally, they thought, oh, Watford aren't gonna do it. And they'd open the gates to allow people out. Oh, right. And of course we scored, it took it extra time. And I think we had as many people in the ground, if not more, because people in the surrounding areas, pubs and everything else, we didn't have obviously the live TV and everything else that you've got now in modern media. And we actually, I think we had more people on the ground at the end than we did at the start. So the fans, it was unbelievable. You were seeing fans sudden walking out, but then within minutes we'd equalised and then we wanted to win the game. And I think in extra time we couldn't prove it because the gates had been opened, the large gates were open. And I think it was an absolutely surreal uh, end to the game where we actually had more people in the stadium than we had when we actually were half-time or even the start of the game but fantastic night um, and they had everybody I mean you know it was um, Shilton didn't play that night but there were some big names on that team yeah. and that was that was a typical uh, example speak to your dad about it of how Graham Taylor wanted to play the game we were very much a 4-2-4 we were very much attack-minded um, offensive team who worked worked tirelessly hard and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was one of the special nights, I think, when we, we beat Forest as well, went to QPR. We, we had, I enjoyed it. I mean, some of the best games I enjoyed when I was playing was some of the cup runs we had yeah. uh, when we went to Wolves and won, when we went to QPR and won. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there were some really, really good memories, which you always had at Watford because of the fact that you can't hide it. We were successful as a club and successful as a, successful as a team.
0: And that was a Wolves side that had Andy Gray in, didn't
1: it? I think. It yeah, Andy Gray up top. Yeah, John Richards. They just won the League Cup. They just won the League Cup the week before we went and played. And uh, John Barnwell actually was a manager of Wolves, and he'd been my assistant manager at Peterborough. And I remember we did. We had a we had a really good day that day. We stayed at Little Shawl, where Graham had worked uh, on his licenses, where we all used to go to get our qualifications, mm. and. Um, yeah, it was a, a really really good good day went there full house on tv andy gray john richards they were really a, a awesome front two but we quelled that steve sims and ian bolton did a great job and uh we ended up winning the game
0: graham was um was a man who he was sort of known for, for bringing for a lot of the younger players like the likes of kenny jacket uh john barnes you know and then also sort of the the, the, the kind of next generation players the likes of nigel gibbs the, did you enjoy playing with those,
1: those guys? Oh, it was, it was, listen, when you look at the treadmill, the players that came through, Tom Wally was the youth coach, did an unbelievable job, and then they would be passed up to John Ward or Sam Ellis and the reserve level as we had then. We used to play in the combination. Um, so, yeah, all credit, Graham was never afraid to put young players in. Um, I spoke the other night to one of my players that I played with at uh, Derby and at Watford, and that was Nigel Callahan. And you look at the youthful players that come through. Steve Terry, Kenny Jacket. Um, obviously, you mentioned there. Nigel Gibbs came through it. There was plenty of young players, and credit to Tom Wally and the youth setup. And Graham was never afraid to put them in. And the, so the mainstay of that team was it was literally some homegrown, with some very astute buys. You know, people like Malcolm Poskett up front, Ross Jenkins, Luther. Um, you know when. When Luther had had his time left, you know, we brought in uh, Mo Johnson and obviously you saw the development of a top, top player in John Barnes. Uh, Callaghan on one side, Barnes on the other jacket, Les Taylor, you know, dogged in midfield. And again, terrific coaching and management because he he literally knew the system he wanted, but he got the right players in that system.
0: It must have been difficult to leave when your when your time eventually came to do it.
1: Well, no, it wasn't because uh, I've got to be fair, Steve, Steve showed it established himself and the football club were very honourable and they, they, they gave me the chance, I wanted to stay uh, and I, I thought, no, the time's right now to move on in 84. We obviously got the cup final, Steve played in it um, and he'd, he'd become a really accomplished goalkeeper um, and I decided, no, it was time, it was time for me to move on in You have to do that. You have to make decisions based on the facts that you have. And at the time, I thought, no, I've had my time. I need to go and play. And that's what I did. I went to Derby and played in two promotions and enjoyed my time. And I've never left the Derby area. Um, I signed in 84 and I've never never left Derbyshire. I'm still here now, um, 36 years on. So, no, thoroughly enjoyable times when I went to Derby. And, uh, no, I had no regrets. I, I enjoyed my time there. My only regret was I think that I should have played. I wanted to play more games and give a better account than I, than I did. Uh, but ultimately, no. Fantastic memories, um, which is nice. And the good thing about that football club is that you leave in the right way. And I did. I left in the right way with Eddie and Graham Taylor. And you're always welcome back. And it's, uh, it ha- I have been back uh, since. You know, Neil Price still runs something with the ex-players. I still speak to some of the ex-players, Jerry Armstrong. I speak to um, Ian Bolton. I've I've had contact with as well. Les Taylor. I saw recently. So, I think when you've been at a club like Watford, you don't lose you don't lose the links that you had with the club, and it's um, it's fantastic. When I've been back there as a coach, with Man United, with um, Derby, you know you see the stadium that you've got now, and I think of the stadium compared to when I went there in '79, even when I left in '84. It's all credit to the club. Um, I just wish they'd get some stability um, and then obviously drive on and try and keep a manager there for two years, three years. That would be the, the best thing ever for the football club.
0: And then after you, you, you finished uh, playing football, I, I read that you um, you started running a, running a business. Um, <sighs> And, and, yeah, uh, I um, a, a pub, is that right?
1: Yeah, I did. What well, I did, I'd while I'd been playing, I studied, I, I, I got my teacher's training certificate, then I did business studies, um, and I decided when I came out at 34, my choice, that I wanted to go into coaching, but also I just thought, you know what? I'm going to have a go as, as well. Um, and I bought a fabulous 400-year-old building, pub restaurant, um, which I had for six years, and that really was the, the the career. It was the chance then to set up my next career, was a the, the business, but also the um, the coaching, which I really had always wanted to do. Graham go back to it, Graham Taylor pushed me at twenty-five to say you've got to go and get your coaching licences. It'll help you. Yeah. You've always got to have that. You never know what will happen when you finish injuries, etc. And I did. So I then had a great, great um, admiration for a lot of goalkeeping coaches. Uh, Alan Hodgkinson was my bless him not with us now was my coach that Graham brought in. One day a week. I mean, he he found Schmeichel for Alex Ferguson and Man United, really? and he was really my first ever goalkeeping coach, and that was when I was 24, 25. Um, so,
0: did goalkeeping so, coaches not not exist then? But, uh, you know?
1: No, no, not really. No, in my time then, no. I mean, when I went Newcastle, never had a goalkeeping coach where I grew up and play. Um, when I left to go to Peterborough, Peterborough. John Barmel used to help me, he who's assistant manager. He'd got in touch with a friend of his, Alan Hill, who's an ex-goalkeeper. And he used to literally telephone him, write the sessions down, and then bring the sessions over to me in the gym and would go through them. I would go through them on the field. So, no, Alan Hutchinson was my first real contact as a goalkeeping coach. But that really lay the seeds that for when I went and when I think where I went from when I finished playing. So, basically, yeah, I went into business. And I was lucky enough to be successful enough that I was able to bring a manager in and that allowed me then to start part-time uh, goalkeeping coaching. So I ended up Wolves was my first club, then Bristol Rovers, Oxford, and that was part-time. So I was doing three clubs in a week and not being tied to anybody on a Saturday. And that literally just built up and eventually I went, I covered Derby and then 1997, I was asked to go full-time. And that really was the start. I'd sold the business then because the, the coaching was really taken on. Yeah. Um, and that was the real start of my coaching journey, um, which I've never looked back. I mean, I've been privileged from my age of 18 to where I am now. I've been paid to keep fit as a player or to keep fit. So my great reward was when I played, was obviously being involved in the team, winning. And when I was lucky, I had six promotions, played from a country at schoolboy level, Um, had a thoroughly great time saw parts of the world I'd never expect to see but then when you come out you stop playing your reward then is your coaching you go into your coaching and you start to see goalkeepers that you work with develop and go on that's your reward so I only finished in terms of working with teams and goalkeepers two years ago because of my work with the FA Um, so then your massive reward then has been where I've worked to help with the FA to produce coaches whether it be a B licence or A licence, so that's my reward now, I work with coaches um, and see them through and hopefully they get to level up, they enjoy the game as much as I have.
0: And obviously you've had the, the, the chance to work with some top coaches and, and also some top managers as well in the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, And he's someone that that really reminds me almost of, of Graham Taylor but maybe to a... a, a perhaps a, a higher extent just because of what he's won, but the, the, the two men remind me of, of uh, the sort of person that um, really understands the club that they're working at and, and, you know, from top to bottom.
1: Yeah, and that that really is, that, that for me is, nobody's ever going to do what Sir Alex did, longevity. Um, I mean, Graham did. You know, how many managers now can you say are going to be at a football club longer than one year, 18 months, two years? Mm. Part of the problem that we have, you know, short-termism. Um, where I was lucky to work as a coach with Sir Alex, you know, and he was there for 27 years. When you have that stability, when you have that belief, um, there's a culture that you need, and that's what Graham did. Graham did the same at Watford. He built a culture within that football club. Like I said, he built a teams. He built teams. Many many coaches, managers do that. He built a club that was part of the community that was literally totally rebuilt. Um, and most of the successful managers. Are the ones that have had that longevity. Uh, So yeah, I've been very, very lucky. You know, I worked with um, obviously Jim Smith, Arthur Cox at Derby, um, really, really good football people. Uh, Steve McLean as a head coach. Then obviously I went on to um, Aston Villa, worked with John Gregory, who I'd played with uh, at Brighton and at Derby. Martin O'Neill, David O'Leary. Then I went on to work with Sven Goran, Man City. Then obviously worked with a great man for five years. Then came back with um, Steve McLaren to Derby. And then I came away from club football in 2015. Um, then I went and worked alongside the teams, the development teams, 16s right up to 21s with England. So, yeah, that was that was really um, when I think of the diversity that I've had. Um, but certainly longevity is not something you see in football but that I think is the sad, sad part of football at the moment.
0: Mm. That's, that's three England managers there that you've just mentioned in, in Sven uh, Steve and, and Graham as well it, yeah. some, uh, some top some, some top managers there a lot, of, a lot of clubs these days try and get away from the term manager don't they? they try and say head coach and, and because it's a different role but do you feel as though maybe that um, that we've lost something in, in English football not having managers so much these days who who, who have that side of them to, uh, to, to and, and they're allowed to, to, to manage the club really
1: I think the problem now is we've got a lot of them have the different structures. You know, if um, I always thought that the, the football department was run by the football people and your football people should be ahead of that, which obviously would be your, your managers in Graham. uh Sir Alex. Financially, commercially, that should be handled by other people. Unfortunately, now the models have changed um, with the advent, obviously, of the Premier League and you look at now with... Um, The Champions League, everything else—it's unbelievable in terms of now when you see the the coverage, and that might be the problem—is that we just have too many different models. And ultimately, it should be about the players. It should be about the fans, the players, and the the tie in between players performing on the field for the fans. And sometimes, well, it's it is. It's I'm back, back to it. There's no longevity. You don't get that time. You don't get that time to develop players to develop teams. Um, you know everybody wants now to be in that Premier League, um, so it, it it just saddens me that you don't get the longevity that you've seen in Graham, what he did at um, Watford, what Sir Alex did there. Um, you know Jim Smith had three four years, Arthur Cox had three four years. You don't get that now, um, and I think that's the sad part of football at the moment.
0: So um, when you was at Ma- uh, Manchester United, you you had the the privilege to to work with Ben Foster who is the Watford goalkeeper and uh, I, I think um, a very interesting moment that, that sticks out in my memory was when uh, it was it was the final and, and the uh, you brought an iPod out to show uh, to show to show Ben some penalties on there and uh, <laughs> ultimately it helped him
1: yeah it caused a bit of a furore at the time but um, I think what people forgot was I actually brought the iPod out at the end of full time not extra time. Because I was a believer that um, all we'd done then was I just listed the penalty, the takers, give Ben a really, really just a quick look, um, and ultimately everybody seemed to think it was I was gaining some advantage by doing that, um, and I've actually got I've got a shirt that uh, when Ben left he signed a shirt to me, um, which is really I'm very proud, and he he put a message on there to the iPod King. Um, <laughs> signed by Ben Foster, and he went on to make a... Uh, obviously, I spoke about it already, a man-of-the-match performance when we beat Spurs that day. Um, yeah, but it was... It, people got the wrong end. I actually showed Ben at the end of full-time, not extra time. Because ah. I often think that when players tire, that's really when... Um, when there's mistakes made, penalties given. So I thought it might be better to prepare him then. As it was, it was... Um, it still came in handy when he, we got to the penalty shootout, and Ben... Saved a vital penalty from Jamie O'Hara, and we went on to win it. And he got the man of the match.
0: Yeah, he did indeed, and uh, eventually ended up playing for England as well. So, uh, Correct. It's um, you know, it's not it's not that often that you can say that uh, Watford have got some England internationals in their in their side. But I, I suppose I mean we've become, we've come a little bit accustomed to having internationals in our side the last uh, five years or so, having been in the Premier League. We're... We're we're missing that slightly, but uh, Ben's still one of those that uh, that, can, that can claim that he's uh, he's done it there for England. Very much so, and uh, he had a, a sort of a I want to say a strange relationship with England because uh, he kind of announced his own uh, leaving the squad, didn't he? Sort of, he gave himself a sabbatical, as it as it were.
1: Hmm. Well, Ben Ben made an individual decision to say he wanted to concentrate because of his injuries. I think it was mainly to do with the fact that the the number of games and that I think he saw the fact that when he was at West Brom, um, Birmingham, when he left uh, Man United, I think he looked and said, right, if I'm going to be wanting to compete 40 odd games, 50 games a season, I'm not too sure I can be involved in international football. He needed them international breaks to help his body recover and maintain the great fitness that he's still got now. So I think that was a major consideration. And um, when you look at his club form over the last 10 years, it's been absolutely phenomenal whichever club he's been at he's been, uh, he's always in the top three of the players in the individual clubs that he's been at, when you look at it, come the end of the season, so again we've, I've already touched on it uh, with a separate podcast that, that he's looking after himself so well off the field and I think that might be part of the equation that he looked at um, so ultimately he's made the right decision because look at him now, coming up to He's just had a new contract, agreed, which is terrific for him. So yeah. great longevity and he just keeps adding them games up and them clean sheets.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for joining me, Eric. It's been delightful to, to talk about some of the old memories. And uh, I mean, I, I wish that I'd, I'd been able to, to watch them, but it's something that I, I I fondly talk about with my dad and uncles and, um, you know, people who... Well, go back and talk to him about them. Um, that 7-1 win. Go on, you'll love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I will. I oh, will, absolutely. Uh, OK, well, thanks very much. Eric Steele there, the, a legend who played for many different clubs, but one of them was Watford, and we love him to this very day. And you're welcome back at Vicarage any time, hopefully when fans are allowed to come back to the stadium. Thank you, Matthew. wish you well cheers well that was the first of a few Watford buzz Watford legend episodes that we'll be bringing to you so keep your eyes on the lookout for the next one but until then please like and share this episode with your friends so that we can get more Watford fans listening in to great memories like these ones shared by Eric today and hopefully we can start a buzz about the Watford buzz podcast speak to you next time then bye bye